You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 602, everybody loves Colin from accounts, Nick Cave's relationship with the monarchy, farewell to Jerry Springer, and when the Maharishi went on tour with the Beach Boys. That's all coming up after Lewis Taylor and leader of the band.
It feels like that we've been eulogising the cause of Lewis Taylor for half a lifetime. One of the most underrated musicians who produced one of the most underrated albums of all time. No chart entry anywhere from 2004 and taken from the wonderfully titled The Lost Album, Lewis Taylor and leader of the band. I mean, so brilliant. I'm glad that Lewis did in a way get a late payday because Robbie Williams covered Love Light, um, which mm. I think might have been a single and was and was on one of his albums. Mm. And I, I hope that gave Lewis the payday that he so richly deserves, despite the fact that, you know, it's it's. It's just frustrating, isn't it? What? How? How was he so lost for so long? How yeah. is he still slightly lost? It's. It's just. It's people are just rubbish, aren't they, Terence? Because that should be number one every week. You should indeed. Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode six hundred and two. I'm Terence Dacom, and here's the real queen of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I'm. I wondered what how I would be introduced this week, and as ever, you did not disappoint. Good morning, Sir Terence, and indeed everybody it's rare to see a new comedy drama be so universally praised mm. as colin from accounts a massive hit in australia now available in the uk through bbc2 lucy mangan in the guardian gave it five out of five stars saying it's honest kind and goes from strength to strength And Dominic Maxwell in The Times wrote Mm. that Colin from Accounts is one of the greatest sources of cheer of the year. It's the work of real life couple Harriet Dyer and Patrick Brammel and doesn't really hide its influences, which seem to range from fleabag to Mm. curb your enthusiasm to viral stories on Twitter, one of which forms a storyline in episode one. It even has a title sequence that seems to be an homage to succession. Mm. Right from the opening scene where a delivery driver leaves the front gate open and a lovable little border terrier takes the opportunity to go exploring. We know that the show is going to draw us in. So Jules, a vet called Yvette and (laughs) a unicycle owning brewer called Flash Gordon. Are you as enthusiastic as Lucy Mangan in You're the Guardian and her five out of five stars? I liked this very much. I thought it was it was very cool, actually. I, I mean, it's one of those comedies, it's one of those kind of cringe dramedies, isn't it? That you sort of, I watched bits of it through my fingers. I found it very cringy in a good way in places. There's a unicycle and there's the woman says to the man in the unicycle, and how long have you been single? I mean, I thought it was, mm. it was very, it was very right. It was. I mean, I. I'm not quite. I'm not quite. I wouldn't necessarily have reached for kind as one of the first words of this, although I don't feel it's unkind. But mm-hmm. um, I, 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 I just thought it was just very kind of. What was quite compelling about it is that just terrible things kept happening to these characters, <laughs> particularly the woman, and they just kind of got on. They just thought it was. They just thought it was. It was really good. I just. I. I just. I thought this was very well acted. And actually, a point that Lucy Mangum makes in her column, which I agree with, actually, mm-hmm. I, I have occasionally have some issues with these reviews, but I do agree, mm-hmm. is that the woman character in it, the, the the woman is very well drawn in that she isn't a sort of a stereotype that you often see on on screen. She isn't this manic pixie dream girl. She's a bit chaotic, but not overly so. And I just, I just, I just thought this was really well done. I mean, like, I think my favourite scene. I mean, there's talk of the uh, this 
you know, the, the, the vet called Yvette and uh, he said, yeah, stop fixating on this. But um, but the, 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 the farting, the, the farting man that was the head doctor. But I particularly enjoyed the scene in the coffee shop where they're trying to establish who there's a coffee shop yes. next door to the vet. And they are trying to establish from a phone call just who it is whose dog has died. I thought that was very well done. That really made me laugh. I liked this. I thought it had real quality. And another thing that I liked about it, like you say, homage to all these different sort of mm. things. It wasn't big and glossy, though. It was just kind of fairly naturally shot. You know, like you say, it's, a, it's the couple that are in it also produce and write it. I just thought this was great. I will definitely be watching more. I, um, I, I, I was, it was just very attention drawing and it was, it was good fun, actually, just because if this it was done in a it's going to be a slow burn isn't it like if it was Mm. any other sort of comedy they've got together by the end of the first episode and you somehow feel things are going to be trickier than that and that that's much to be liked i think it reminded me of another um program that's not dissimilar actually another sort of comedy drama that i absolutely love that i think i've spoken on this podcast about before which is called Better Things, which has got Pamela Adlin in it. I would very much recommend that if you haven't seen it. I think they're all still on iPlayer, which is about a, a woman that is a kind of a struggling actress. I think we talked about this on the podcast before. Um, it's like that in that, you know, they're fairly short episodes. They're fairly naturalistically done. I, I think they're great. Yes. I mean, you talk about the, the sort of the um homage influences on Colin from a council and you know I, I made a, a note of that um and although they are rather obvious you know that we said curved flea bag mm. signs or even Notting Hill with the mm. boy meets girl in unlikely mm. humdrum situation nevertheless it is very likable and um one thing I, I sort of put on my bullet points as I watched it and you mentioned it there was the sort of gentle kindness that runs mm. through episode one with of course the you know sort of jeopardy and terrible things yes everybody deals with it with with, with, they're very sanguine about it yeah exactly and and all all of people's colleagues and like all of the encounters Mm. in it and the side characters behave like people would in that situation i think i think that's great sorry to interrupt you no that's okay i mean anyone i was gonna say anyone who's had a cat or a dog live with them in recent Mm. years will empathize with the reaction of gordon when he's presented with an eye-watering invoice from yvette the vet's rather Mm. laconic nurse yes indeed um, no some of you just hit on there um we often mention we often talk about uh, true success in television series and Mm. movies can sometimes rest on the casting of the supporting actors and it already looks like they've got a very strong uh, team i particularly enjoyed the scene with the veterinary nurse um who is smarmingly charming when trying to extract dollars from Gordon and um, Ashley, but immediately changes to a sort of couldn't care less attitude when it becomes clear that they're not uh, biting on the hugely expensive options offered. Um, I thought it did. It edged a little bit to the crude at times, crude side at times. But that's probably, you know, that's probably just me being an, an old curmudgeon. Overall, uh, I thought an excellent start for Colin from Accounts, which is on BBC iPlayer in the UK and a different streaming services all around the world. Coming next, an unlikely guest at the coronation and why are royals and pop music such an awkward mix? That's right after Paul McCartney. When you Standing there, get up and grab a 
a short but sweet curio from him there. Lovely to hear the backing vocals of the late Linda McCartney there as well, very much towards the end of her life. That was taken from the marvellous album Flaming Pie, which still might be one of my favourite, if not my favourite, McCartney solo album. I know that's probably a controversial view, but I got it on tape for my... 13th birthday I want to say and just and, and adored it and I, I will always love that album Great Day by Paul McCartney it, it is a great album written and uh, recorded just after the anthology mm. uh, project in 1995 so I always think it ha- has whether consciously or not quite mm. a beatly sound um, yeah. to it but yeah it, it is a really good album of all the people invited to the coronation I would have put perhaps Oh, John Lydon, Keith Richards, mm. even Ozzy Osbourne, ahead of one person who has accepted his invitation. If you'd given me a thousand guesses, I would still be shouting out, I don't know, Pete Doherty and Liam Gallagher, bef- long before I reached the man who has accepted the invitation to attend the Royal mm. Coronation on the very day we record this. Mm. And that man, <laughs> so be it, is, I put to the jury, Nick Cave. Mm. And Jules... He'll be joining Prince Harry, Joanna Lumley, inevitably, and Anton Deck. Are you feeling betrayed or wishing him a jolly day with Beatrice and Eugenie? I mean, I can't, it hasn't, I've not seen any explanation as to how or why he has been invited. (laughs) This is the most random thing ever. How on earth did he get on the invite list? This is the man that I believe, I don't know if that's expired, but at one point was banned for life from Glastonbury for being so obnoxious. Um, Michael Evis was asked, well, I don't know if they undid that, but at one point Michael Evis was asked, um, who was banned for life from Glastonbury. At one point, Nicky Wire was frowned upon for staying on stage that they should concrete it over and build a bypass. But um, that was not well received. But uh, Michael Evis commented at the same time, oh, who's the other one we never had back? Oh, yeah, that Australian fella who turned out to be Nick Cave. So it just amuses me that at one point he was life banned from Glastonbury and has been invited to the Queen's, the King's, sorry, excuse me, the King's coronation. Just seemed ridiculous. I like the the quote that he's read i mean i i'm indifferent to this whole business terence i i can understand the historic importance of it mm. but but i'm also not that bothered so basically i don't feel particularly betrayed or otherwise by nick k because i just don't really care terence so right. I just don't know. but he does sound i think this is an interesting quote i'm not a monarchist this is on his uh his website the red hand files which is a, a newsletter itself published and fans send questions and it's really interesting and he's written very well about the grief of losing a child and and you know it's always a worthwhile read i think and he says i'm not a monarchist nor am i a royalist nor am i an ardent republican for that matter what i'm also not is so spectacularly incurious about the world and the way it works so ideologically captured so damn grouchy as to refuse an invitation as to what will more than likely be the most hysterical important historical event of the uk in the uk of your age the awe-inspiring i think that's incredibly well written i think it well sums up I mean, it's like with all views in life, 
it's always the extremely held views that we hear, isn't it? It's always people that really love something or really hate something whose views are portrayed, I think, in the media as well, who desperately want, you know, the most colourful story possible. So today we will see coverage of, you know, people in, in three-piece Union Jack suits who've slept outside Windsor mm. for 75 hours or whatever it is. And we'll also see people with leather studs throwing bottles of wee through windows. We will see the most extreme... We will see the most extreme behaviour, whereas like most people, most people, are, are, the vast majority of people, I still believe, are fairly moderate in their views. The vast majority of people, I think, or rather there's a sizable chunk of people, including myself, whose views are not represented on these things, which is we don't quite know how to feel about it. Some we have some positive feelings towards it, some less positive feelings towards it. We're just a bit bemused by the whole thing. And I can understand Nick Kay's bemusement at the whole thing. And I think there's an argument if you get invited to something like that and you don't feel massively, massively anti go for the show. And I think Nick Cave is to some extent going along for the bands at this. And I, I admire that. I think that, you know, I can understand that. So, I, you know, and, and to be fair, Nick Cave is not a, I don't think he's ever been, I know the birthday party was pretty wild in those days, mm. but he's never set himself up to be an anti-establishment figure in the way that some people like perhaps John Lydon have. So I, I don't necessarily feel a betrayal because I, I think that's mm. other people putting on putting on Nick Cave something they want him to be. Mm. The whole thing is bizarre. Nick Cave sums it up nicely, I think. It's funny the effect a royal invitation or the offer of an mm, OBE or a that mm. it has on people. Often the most rebellious, and I take your point about Nick Cave isn't one of them, but um, they're the most eager to say yes. Um, yeah, you mentioned his website. I, I was taken by the fact that he, I was quite surprised. He said, um, the late Queen the, is the most charismatic woman I've ever met, which must feel like a kick in the shins to Kylie Minogue. <laughs> The true queen. We stand our true Australian queen, indeed. Uh, Yes, as you say, he says he holds that inexplicable emotional attachment to the royals. Um, I I think, you know, that that, talk talk about that and listening carefully to what you say, I think my instinct is that there are many who, maybe even as a surprise to themselves, feel the same way this weekend. Mm. They're not really, you know, ardent royalists who would be one of those people in the Union Jack suits, um, who, by the way, are mm. getting soaked. Um, yes. But um, nonetheless, just always feel this need to be part of, even if just watching it on television, the the, the sort of ceremony, the rite, R-I-T-E of it all. Mm. Absolutely. Inevitably, there has to be um, a coronation concert this weekend. Mm. And instead of the music Charles would like to hear from the classical music world, of course. And also the Three Degrees, who apparently (laughs) favourite pop group. Well, to them, they should still be here. Well, I'm surprised they're not on the bill. No, for poor old Charles, it's in with the earplugs as Take That, Katy Perry and Lionel Richie perform at Windsor Castle. I'd say it's odds on that he hasn't heard of any of them. Um, Among those said to have declined for various reasons are Adele, Ed Sheeran, Harry Styles, Mm. aforementioned Kylie and Elton. And I don't really blame them. I I don't know why these events always feel so excruciating, Jules, but from Brian May, 
and his squeaky guitar on the, <laughs> on the roof. roof. Oh, that's oh. the moment that everyone remembers, though. Right through to Rod Stewart getting the crowd to sing oh, yes. along to Sweet Caroline. These things and, ex- and explaining at the beginning of that, by the way, that he did not, that it was the BBC that made him sing it. Yes, that apparently so. Sorry, yeah. sorry, go on, Titi. No, they, I was just saying, these things always make me, me squirm mm. in my seat. You know, it, it's just so cringeworthy. Why do they do them? Oh, I don't know, Sir Terence. I don't be dissimilar. Although, big shout out to Sir Ed Davey, leader of the Lib Dems, for pointing oh, yeah. out that um, the, the coronation concert tomorrow will, for the first time ever, be taking place in an area entirely represented by the Lib Dems. <laughs> I mean, that is a level of political opportunism that I very, very much That's admire. Regardless, very regardless, indeed, regardless of political representation. I mean, that does make a point, doesn't it? Anyway, um, yeah, like you, I'm rather bemused by these things um as this excellent article by katie rosensky puts it in i think it's in the independent brian Frey, brian may kermit the frog and atomic kitten together at last and there is always this kind of throwing everything at the wall will this do kind of feeling mm. to coronation to well not just the coronation to all royal or, or gala concerts simply because lots of people don't want to do them, like you say, for various Mm. reasons. They don't feel that attachment. Um, Particularly, it's interesting, I think, uh, people like Ed Sheeran and Adele, who have, I think, slightly younger fan bases. I know Mm. that Adele is the Queen of Mm. Middle England, but I find it interesting. Part of me wonders if they factor into their thinking that their fans are less interested in the royal family, maybe. Maybe they feel that, you know, their fans might judge them for it. There's a generational split when you look at polling on people's views of the, of the, of the, um, you know, of of royalty in Britain. And so I, I find that really interesting that that you'd think once upon a time it would have been an honour to be asked, wouldn't it? And now, for various reasons, uh, touring conflicts, all that sort of thing, people don't see it as a big draw anymore to perform. People are happy to turn it down. And, and as a result of which, you end up with who is willing to perform rather than necessarily who you want to perform. A bit like, I'm oh, sorry to draw this equivalence, but Trump's inauguration concert, infamously, um, when nobody would play. And you end up with the most random ragbag of people that, you know, we never, ever, no sane person would put on a bill together. And you end up with whoever was, is along for the ride, really. So, you went, I mean, I have to say that Tate that and Katy Perry and Lionel Richie are fairly big, you know, the household names, I would say. Mm. They're, they're fairly big big tier people but i just i just find like you say i find it really random the atmosphere is always a bit synthetic occasionally you get moments of real joy it was lovely to see diana ross last last summer performing for what i suspect will be one of the last occasions she she looked very elderly and sometimes you get performances that are great and it's a platform i was delighted for the uh the, the cast and crew of the henry the eighth musical six that got their moment in the spotlight and the the, the people seeing absolutely smacked it and it was lovely at the at the uh the, the jubilee concert last summer but you know for that for people like that it's a great platform because millions and millions of people will watch this in armchairs at home just because it's on but yeah like you say you have very incongruous moments i remember watching the golden jubilee concert in 2002 which had the aforementioned brian may on the roof bizarre moment um 
Again, you had a very random mix of people. I remember the cause covering the long and winding road, which seemed rather incongruous. And then Ozzy Osbourne appeared to do Paranoid out of nowhere and appeared to be melting. He really looked very chaotic. And in the middle of all this, you know, in the middle of all these random, you know, I remember our pal that we, I say pal, but not that we know her, but I feel, she feels like she's one of ours. Hmm. Sam Brown, who we speak about. Mm. She and a, a blue did a Motown medley and put it this way she and the her other two female backing singers must have had lumbago at the end of it because they were carrying them so badly and you know these things are always interesting to watch you can always like you know pick bits out but yeah like you i just find it really weird and they're rather hamstrung by the fact that because these are bizarre slightly embarrassing occasions that that seems to overrule the sort of worldwide exposure and the honour of being asked that you would get now for lots of these major part, artists, the result of which the truly big names like Paul McCartney avoid them like the plague and you end up, you just end up with this kind of slightly, uh, slightly mid, sort of mid, <laughs> mid-tempo lukewarm mess, don't you really? So I'm, I, you know, I, my, I've got a friend that will be watching enthusiastically and texting me their views tomorrow. They also have a not ideal taste in music, so, so you know, I wish them well in watching it. But I don't know, it's like you, it just, it just feels a bit too random for me. Yes, uh, you, you mentioned um, the atmosphere at these things, and I think yeah. that's the that's the key of the mm. most awfulness of it for me. And it's the combination of sycophancy from everyone present, mm. from fawning presenters, you know, grinning artists who might you know, they think, oh, it's hilarious to make a slightly off-colour joke about the royal family or something, mm. to the awfully awfully over-enthusiastic crowd, obsequious to a man and a mm. woman, all waving at the cameras, and they all go wild if they catch themselves on mm. the big screen. It's just horrendous. But, of course, I'll be watching That's... it. Because <laughs> you were. Because you were. <laughs> Coming from it up, farewell Jerry Springer and remembering the weirdest Beach Boys tour ever. Mm. That's next after the new single from The Fiends. Bye. 
singles on release here uh, they have a few gigs in the uk this summer if you'd like to see them details on um, their facebook uh, pages from scarborough north yorkshire the new single from the fiends eternal sunshine very much enjoy that thank you for continuing to be my man at the coalface 13 introducing me to new bands We've, we've, we've lost um, a few people from um, the world of entertainment have died this week. Um, Gordon mm. Lightfoot um, and um, dear Linda Lewis both died mm. uh, this week. I, I always thought it was a bit of an, uh, an anomaly that at the end of his television shows, Jerry Springer would conclude by saying, till next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Always rather a strange sign-off after the previous 40 minutes had been spent Mayhem, separating. Yes. <laughs> a, a, you know, there'd be a couple where the man was having an affair with his wife's sister and the, the wife was expecting a child by her first cousin who was probably in jail. Um, as with his British equivalent, the dreadful Jeremy Kyle, much mm. of the show's drama was enhanced by the presence of burly security guards who would mm. dash on stage to stop one of the warring couple from marmalising the other. It all reminds me of Bedlam Hospital in the 1700s when people would mm. pay to go in and laugh at the inmates. So R.I.P. Jerry Jules, but I'm glad these sh- these um, these shows came to an end. Absolutely, I completely agree. That there is, you know, that there is the Guardian. Bless them, tried to make a bit of an argument for the fact that Jerry Springer, uh, you know, concentrated on the concerns and lives of ordinary people. Uh. But like you. It just felt so exploitative. It felt like, you know, ramping people up for, you know, like you say, for sort of bear fighting for entertainment, really, for people to sort of gawp and laugh. Jerry Springer's history himself, he could have actually ended up on a um, on the programme himself, actually, reading into his life story. Really? Um, he started off, bizarrely, he started off a serious man. Um, he was um, born in Highgate Tube Station in London during an air raid, which I didn't know. Um Spent his early years in East Finchley, moved to New York. Um, so um, he was active in drama at Forest Hills High School, took a BA in political science at Tulane University in New Orleans and a law degree from Northwestern University. And in 68, he worked on Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign and then ended up working at a law firm in Cincinnati. But the, the thing here, which makes me think he might end up in a, he might end up on his own programme is... In 1970, he lost a race for Congress, but was elected to the city council as a Democrat in 1971. Three years later, he resigned for personal family considerations, which turned out to be visiting a sex worker across the Ohio River in Kentucky and paying her with a personal check. So so he had a bit of a, that's a backstory there. I had no there? idea of I know, of this. this is crazy. Opened his own law firm. Um, he said, I mean, and I have to say, there, there, this is a great line. He was re-elected. This just goes to show that, that our politics has always been bizarre and crinkled. 1975, he came back and was re-elected to the council for the first of three terms and was mayor in 1977-78 during his comeback. He argued that his use of a personal check to pay for sex at least proved his credit was good. Ugh. I mean, I mean, for goodness sake. So Ugh. he started off as a political reporter and eventually fell into this kind of um, 
came came in. So his his the show, the Jerry Springer show that started in 1991, started off like Phil Donahue's. It was very much a political serious format. Um, it was almost like a David Frostdale show. But what changed? And this is so interesting. And you can blame the producer for this, but I think this is a this is reflects what people's priorities are and if they're willing to follow the money above anything else. Got a new producer. Um, called Richard Dominic, who had worked on, are you familiar with the work of the National Enquirer, Sir Terence? <laughs> yes, uh, well, he'd worked on those style supermarket tabloid, largely made up things. And he decided he would take the talk format away from celebrities and experts into quote unquote ordinary people. I find the genesis of this absolutely fascinating and Jerry Springer's slightly wild life absolutely sort of bizarre and fascinating as well. Who knows, maybe he was trying to deflect from his own bizarre life by putting other people centre stage. I don't know. Um, Yeah, like you, I find these shows to be exploitative and I find it particularly grating that he would like fall into this kind of therapist style simper at the end of each show, having encouraged people to knock nine bells out of each other. And, you know, it was it's just, you know, it's fish tank style programmes and not and not for me in this instance when you're sort of baiting people. So R.I.P. Jerry Springer, an interesting life, but really not a fan of the programmes and the, the morality behind them. Yeah, ditto. Most of us know the tale of the Beatles and the chaotic meeting with the Maharishi mm. in, in Bognor in Wales when... Cynthia Lennon got left behind at Euston Station because yes. the police thought she was an overzealous fan. And then the ill-fated trip to Rishikesh in early 1968, mm. which we've spoken about before. One scenario I didn't know about at all until I read about it this week was the concert tour booked in May 1968 mm. with the Beach Boys co-headlining with the Maharishi. And the concert were at concerts were appetite. <laughs> I know the most exciting event of the decade was on the posters. I mean, that's a big old claim. You're setting yourself up to, yeah, to you play really it, you? are. You put that on your posters. Forty minutes of the Beach Boys, followed by a lecture by the Maharishi on the benefits mm. of meditation. Uh, you're, you're probably already sensing a feeling. I mean, as, as, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I somehow feel that you know maybe he could maybe he could do the coronation. Maybe he's the headline <laughs> act they're looking for. Twenty nine dates all across America booked. Wow. Tours. wow! How many took place? Two, three, an oh. absolute disaster. <laughs> The first God. night, fifteen hundred fans turned up to an eight thousand oh, seat theatre. That 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 doesn't that doesn't ogle well, does it? The, the Washington Post described the Beach Boys set as dreadful in their review. Oh dear! And, and then no one could hear the Maharishi because he was seated on a green sofa in the middle of the stage and mumbled. Um, oh, so, I mean, so, not not a natural show person. Not there, a, not a showman. Fans jeered and heckled. Carl Wilson said they weren't, weren't prepared for the hostility and violence. Nobody wants to get hurt, he said. So um, they put out a statement that the Maharishi was ill, cancelled the tour, <laughs> and the Maharishi flew back to India. Oh, dear. I know. I mean, it may, no surprise that originally it was all Mike Love's idea. In his autobiography, he said, <laughs> I take responsibility for an idea that didn't work, but I don't regret it. 
I mean, I, <laughs> to be honest, that's that's typical Mike Love, isn't it? I take responsibility for this dreadful thing that I do not regret. <laughs> what I, what I, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry that I missed out on going to see that, but at the same time, being very relieved that it was very much before my time. I mean, yeah, not not a a, a bad idea, very poorly executed, isn't it, really? Or perhaps really the, an answer to a question that, in fact, nobody had asked. So one, I think one of the most extraordinary outcomes of, of all of this when I was reading about it was that the Maharishi mm. seemed like he was about 150 years old. I was going to say, how time. old was he? Goodness me. Well, he he went on to live for another 40 years what? after that until that February 2008 crazy. when he was 91. So he was 51. Wow. Um, at, at the time of the Beatles, <laughs> Rishikesh and the Beach Boys and the Green Sofa. Yeah, that is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. That's the biggest revelation of that. He was only 51 at yeah. that point. Jeez. I mean, he lived, what, uh, 20 plus eight, 28 years longer than John Lennon. You know, it's the most extraordinary thing, even though he was an yes. ancient man at the time. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. Very much agree with my colleague Sati at all times. So, uh, yes, due to the fact that he died 15 years ago, the Maharishi won't be appearing on Juliet's radio shows. (laughs) Sadly not. Sadly not. Although if he can make some instrumental music and not talk, he may make it onto Lost of Words anyway. We are. So so I do two shows for Noise Box Radio, the internet station, which I'm delighted with. Um, On Sunday evenings, I do smooth sailing from 7 to 9 p.m. Yacht Rock, M.O.R., who knows, maybe I'll play Lionel Richie this week as a tribute to uh, the concert, which is likely to be happening at the same time. You may wish to join me instead. Up to you. I cannot run your life for you. Um, I also do. That's repeated, by the way, at six o'clock on Monday tea times as well. Now, I also do a lot of words, which is instrumental music, as I've alluded to, of all and no genres. That goes out eight till nine on Thursdays, 11 till noon on Tuesdays. And you can find all of the old shows on the Mixcloud channel for the station. If you go to Mixcloud.com and search for Noisebox Radio, then uh, you can you, you can find all the previous shows to your heart's content. Excellent. Now, we mentioned her briefly uh, a few Mm. minutes ago. Back to Linda Lewis uh, to play us out. Absolutely. One of my favourite singing voices of all time. Just so brilliant. Had a a few UK chart hits, uh, notably the Shoop Shoop song. It's in his kiss. She was very famous for that. Um, Rock a doodle do. I think I've got somewhere as well. But um, I I think when we talked about Glastonbury previously and we reviewed one of those documentaries, there's brilliant footage of her and Terry Reid singing at the first the first ever Glastonbury. She was with David Bowie and she said that she was sort of, you know, they, they'd lived their lives at that point. They they were on a higher plane, and someone basically said, "You're on, Linda, quick." So so the the footage of that is great as a result, genuinely brilliant. But um, I thought I'd pick this to to celebrate the life of Linda Lewis and the brilliant voice of Linda Lewis uh, to great effect. This is by Midfield General, aka Damien Harris, uh, one of uh, Norman Cook's Skint Records compadres. I love her her sort of sample of her brilliant voice on this. I think it's so good. I like to start my day with this sometimes for tea and a cup of coffee. It's one of my favorite day starting records midfield general featuring linda lewis and reach out i just don't know what i'm after Oh,
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>